Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. This morning, we're going to finish up our series, uh, our God Is series. So as we've uh, gone through uh, the month of January, uh, we've been looking to establish what we call a true theological identity of God. Uh, We've been looking at this because we see that in our culture, in our country, uh, even in our churches, uh, we have what is probably the greatest case of mistaken identity is that of our holy God being mistakenly identified uh, by whatever attributes that people want to identify God with instead of taking a true glimpse of exactly who God is. We have the God of, of, of love when people want to define it the way they want to. We have the God of mercy, the God of grace when we sin, but we fail to get a true glimpse of all of the wholeness of God. And we have to look at the whole entirety of God if we're going to understand uh, exactly who God is. Uh, we first looked at the holiness of God, and we said that all other attributes of God filter through the fact that God is a holy God. Uh, We then looked at the fact that God is a faithful God, that if God is holy, then God must be faithful, that he always does what he says he's going to do. And one of the ways that we said we can know that God's going to do what he said he was going to do is because God has always done perfectly what he said he was going to do. We then looked at the sobering reminder that God is just. Last week we looked at that and we said that if God is holy and if God's standard by which he judges is holiness, then God must be faithful to dole out the judgment on those who are not found in that standing. And this morning we wrap up by looking at the fact that God is love. God is love if he is holy. If his standard of holiness is that we too must be holy, and if he is faithful to judge according to that standard, then he must be loving if he has provided a way for our unholy humanity to be made holy and be made right with him. So in light of that, I want to ask you to stand if you're able this morning in the house in honor and reverence of the reading of the word of God from 1 John chapter 4 and beginning in verse 7. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son not Excuse me, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let us pray. Father God, we pray this morning that you would do as only you can, Father God, and that is dwell among your people. Father, we thank you for the music that we've had. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share in baptism. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Father, we ask you to open our hearts and minds that we might hear what you would have us to hear. Father, we ask you bind any devil, any demon. Father, any thought, any spirit in this house that is not captive of your Holy Spirit, Father, would you remove it now? In Jesus' name we pray as all of God's children said. Amen. Please be seated. 
case anybody's wondering, I don't take my watch off so I can see what time it is. I take it off because it bothers me when I start flopping and waving. The battery's been dead on it for a long time, so I don't even know what time it is. But First thing we're going to look at this morning as we look at some characteristics of the love of God is that God is the inception of love. God is the inception of love. Verse 8 and then again in verse 16 of this chapter, John simply writes the phrase, God is love. Verse 7 introduces the idea that as believers, we should love one another and then states, if we love, we must be born again. And if we don't love one another, then quite frankly, he, John says, we don't know God. So, so what he's saying, he says, one of the tests of your faith, and really as John writes these three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the idea throughout all of them is he's really giving us a test of faith. Do, do you live out your life showing these attributes? Because if you're a believer, you'll do these things. And one of the marks that he says for a believer, one of the ways that you'll know that you know God is whether or not you love one another. And, and John goes so far as to say, if you don't love one another, then you don't know God because God is love. By his very nature, God is love. And so what exactly John is saying is very simple. And I want you to imagine this with me. God is saying, John is saying that because God is love, because God is love in his very nature, at his very core, in his very essence, God is love. If you know God, then you too will love. Because you can't be with God and not take on that love of God. And if you don't love, then obviously you don't know God. Let me break it down even further for you, though, with this thought. God is love, and he created man in his image to glorify him and to love him and for him to love. So that being said, if God is love and God created us, then who did God love before he created us, right? Where did love begin? Did love begin at creation? Did, did God just, just in eternity past in the midst go, man... I would like to love something. Let me create mankind. Absolutely not. God, you see, has never existed in a single solitary fashion in all of his existence. Okay, now this is some, this is some, some, some fairly deep truths, but I think we can get it. God has never existed in a single solitary fashion. Now, God existed before anything else existed because he spoke everything that existed into existence. Does that make sense? Before God spoke it, there was nothing but God. But even at that point in time when nothing else was, God existed in three persons, all fully God, yet all fully in themselves. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is a Trinitarian God. God has never been cut off. He's always lived in a family-like example. The Son has never been apart from the Father, the Father, never apart from the Spirit in all of creation, except, except on the cross of Calvary. Now I want you to think about the depth of what I just said. You want to know how much agony your Savior endured on the cross for the first time, not in creation, for the first time in ever, because we can't comprehend time without time, right? For the first time in existence, Jesus was without the Father. And therefore, Jesus was without love. How deep the Father's love for us. Whew. We could just give the invitation now, couldn't we? 
We're not going to, though. So God created man in his image. Not only that, that, that we would be able to love him, not only that we would seek relationship with him, but that we would be able to love fellow man and love one another. It's why we have such a desire and a craving in our very essence, in our every being, to love and to be loved. You say, well, well I, I know such and such and so-and-so. I don't think that man desires to love and to be loved. Yes, he does. At his very nature, at his very core, we desire to love and to be loved. That's, that's how we're made. Uh, it, it's why... There are so many, think about all the songs and all the poems and all the movies and all the books. What if you had to find a resounding theme that perpetuates the, uh, the vast majority of our songs and books and poems and movies all throughout human history, they revolve around love, right? Because man has this innate desire, this intrinsic part of us that wants to love and to be loved, okay? So we're created in the image of God who is the inception and the very definition of love. Now, I want to be clear. John starts this letter, and he says, Beloved, in this part. And the word he uses for beloved there comes from the Greek word that is agape. I'm not going to go through a big, long breakdown of all the Greek words of love. What I want you to know is that when John starts this, he could have used any number of ways to start this, but when he describes beloved, those who are loved by Christ, it's a sacrificial, salvation, totally committed, selfless love. It is a love that we cannot quite achieve in and of ourselves that is only exemplified in all of human history by Jesus Christ. It is that God-like selfless love. So John, when he says this thing about loving one another, John is not talking about this mystical experience, this, this lustful love, even this friendly love, this relational love, this love like we have, you know, when you're a teenager and you see that pretty girl on the other side of the gym and your heart goes pitter-patter, pitter-patter. That's not the kind of love that John is talking about right here. John is talking about the kind of love that Christ had for the church. And he says, we ought to love one another the way that Christ so loved the church. Sacrificially, selflessly, not seeking to serve ourselves by loving somebody else. I want you to think about that for a minute. When's the last time you saw a selfless, true example of love between one another where you said, this is not a love in which you seek something in return. You simply love because you love. A selfless, complete, total, God-like love. And God says, if you don't pursue this love, then you aren't born again in his image. You're not born again if you don't love one another. You know, I, I like history, and I particularly like war history. And the war history of Alexander the Great is, is worth studying, for those of you who like this kind of thing. But the rumor has it, and I don't know it to be true. I, didn't, I wasn't there to see it, so I don't know it to be true. But the story says that Alexander the Great had a soldier in one of his armies who bore his name. The soldier's name was Alexander. And after a particular battle where that soldier had kind of tucked tail and hid behind the lines and stayed out of the heat of the battle, Alexander called him in and he said, If you are going to bear the name Alexander, you're going to have to change the way you fight or change your name. Right? What he was saying is, if you're going to bear my name and my army, you better live to my standards. And if you're not, we're going to start calling you something else. You, you see where I'm going with this? God is saying here, we either must love or stop pretending to bear the name of God. Because if you're one of his, you're going to love one another. If you bear his name, you're going to love because he in his very nature is love. You see, we want to put 
uh, our view of love on God. And, and that causes us to say things like, well, if God is love, why would he create things that cause so much grief and trouble? And the fact is that if God is love and desires that love with others, he creates them that they can be in relationship with him and they can be in love with him. But God is not creating robots. God's not creating robots with no choice. He creates us with an ability with an ability to choose through His grace and His power to love Him. Not simply create us to be robots. God didn't at the beginning of time have, have this list of folks and He say, these are going to love me, these are not going to love me, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. There's nothing that's going to happen. My love is only good for this group and this group I'm going to shun. That's the silliest biblical theology I've ever heard in my life. Because the God of the Bible created us, and He created us all in His image, not some of us. He created all of us in His image, and we all desire in our innate, intrinsic self. And He says that I'm not going to require that they love me because that's not true love. I don't seek to have a false relationship with them. I seek to have a relationship with those who truly love me, those who enter into a relationship. Think about this. Think about this. This gets me excited. Those who enter into a relationship with Jesus are not signing a temporary contract, right? We are saying, I intend to follow him. All, I asked this young man, do you intend to follow Jesus all the days of your life? Yes, sir, I do. Do you realize I'm not asking, do you intend to follow Jesus until you draw your last earthly breath? I'm saying, do you wish to follow Jesus for all of eternity, forevermore, in all of your existence? Do you wish to worship Him and sing praises to Him and live your life to glorify Him and give yourself to Him? Because that's what Jesus did for you. When He died, He didn't die to save you from temporal life. He died to save you for eternity. And so all of those who enter into this relationship with him enter into a, a forever kind of deal. And we're going to worship him forever and ever and ever. And those who are there at the end, if you come to our Revelation class on Wednesday night, you'll see what we're saying. Those, those who worship him in the end worship him forevermore completely because he is holy. But those who do not, as we learned last week, They're cast into the lake of fire. Why? Because all that is going to be in the end are those who are worshiping Jesus. Why? Because God is giving his son the keys to the perfect kingdom. Why? Because he earned them for God so loved the world. And that brings us to our second point this morning. Because if we stop there, we're going to look at the fact that God is love in his nature. We're going to miss the depth of just how much God loves us. Because the second thing we're going to look at this morning is God is the perfection of love. He's not only the beginning and the inception of love. He is the perfection of love. So God is love. He's love at his very nature. We were created to glorify him and have relationship with him that he could love us and we could love him. But remember, right, we can't forget that early on we said that he is holy. So his love 
has to be underneath the fact that God is holy. And so if he is holy, and at his very nature, he says he can't be in the presence of sin because he cannot look upon sin with favor. If God is faithful, if God is just, and if God is holy, and God is still love, then then we can't be in the presence of our holy God, even though he loves us and, and seeks that. Because Adam, through Romans says that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world... And then he goes on to say that the wages of that sin is death, separation from God. Because of our sin, our communion with God has been broken beyond our repair. Now that sounds like a serious problem for humanity, isn't it? Created with an intrinsic desire to love God, yet separated from the God that we were created to love. That's a problem for humanity. That's a big problem because there's no way to fix it. You know, in interpersonal relationships, when somebody comes to me and they say, Brother Jason, me and such and such, well, we have a problem. We, we, we've had this fight. We've had this spat. We've had this go on. And I always say, hey, let's get you two together. Right, And let's talk about it. You guys just open your mouths and begin a dialogue. And before long, you can repair this broken relationship most of the time. And well, guess what? When it comes to your relationship with God, you can do all the talking you want to, but you can't fix that relationship on your own. Only God could fix that relationship. So we had a problem. So God created us for relationship with him. We broke that relationship. And Look at verse 9 with me. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That word for manifest literally means to make visible. How do we see how much God loves us? That he sent his only son into the world. Why? That we might live. That we might live through him. So God loved us so much. That in his love for us, when we broke fellowship with him, he provided salvation for us that we might be saved. John 15 says that greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. So listen to just how much God loved us. The creator of the world who made everything perfectly. And he made it all in his image. When we rebelled against his very nature, broke our love and our communion with him, he loved us too much to abandon us in that state. And he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. That phrase means to appease something. He sent Jesus to appease our sin debt because we couldn't do it ourselves. Well, Brother Jason, why couldn't we? Why, why couldn't we be the propitiation for our own sins? Why couldn't we, uh, in, in all, you know, you think about all the movies that are written and you always have this, this unexpecting hero, right? This child that's born, uh, you know, over in China and we have to go find him and protect him until he's old enough to save the world in some great big climactic scene. And God said, no, that's not good enough. Man cannot provide an appeasement to me for his own sin. Why? Because man by his very nature is sinful. And a sinful sacrifice will not do. It goes even deeper than that though. It wasn't just that a sinful sacrifice wouldn't do and all man is sinful. He said furthermore, the sacrifice is not just the the blood that atones, not just the blood that cleanses the sin, but he says there's also a substitutionary life that's plugged in. 
Let me explain what that means. That means that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we not only have the blood that forgives us of our sins, but we have the perfect life that He lived imputed upon our imperfect life that we've lived. So that when God looks upon us, He no longer sees all the sin and all the murk and all the mire of my life, but He sees all the perfection and all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, unless there had been a man who could have been born perfect, and we all know that He couldn't because since Adam, everybody is born with a nature of sin, we can't live a perfect life. Therefore, we couldn't be a sacrifice for our own sin. And God said, I love you so much. I love you so much that I am going to send my only son who is in essence with me, who has been in eternity in love with me, who I have loved since the beginning, I'm going to send him that he might die for your behalf because you can't do it on your own. I know I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Some of you weren't here. Some of you have forgotten. Some of you are hearing it twice. Well, we said it last week when we were talking about how God is holy and just and therefore judges. Brother Jason, how can you say that God is loving and then say that he's going to judge somebody and send them to eternity in the lake of fire? And what they're trying to do when they make that statement is they're trying to paint... God into this corner and they think that they've got some theological anomaly that if God is loving he can't be judging let me just break that nonsense down for you we're dirt let me say it again we're dirt if you don't believe me go back and read the beginning literally we're dirt So what that person is saying to me when they say God can't be all loving and all judging, he is saying this, that dirt, when it was created and formed and life was breathed into that dirt and it therefore became man and it was given the image of its creator and we fell out of the honor of being made in the image of creator. We fell out of the perfected relationship that we were set out to be in the image of our creator. When we fell out of, when the dirt that was turned into something special, fell from what it was made to be. God owed us something? Are you kidding me? Do you know what God owed the imperfect creation? He owed it nothing. At that point in time when mankind, God had every, he would have been perfectly just, perfectly right, and perfectly within his nature of holiness. At the point in time when humanity fell from what it was created to be, he would have been perfectly just and holy to have said, well, that one didn't work. Let's try something else. But God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. To be the propitiation for our sins. That when we created a chasm, He didn't create it. When we created a chasm between ourselves and our Maker, He provided a way that we could follow Him and give our life to Him and submit to Him and be saved. You mean to ask me how can there be a hell where some people go? And I mean to ask you how can there be a heaven where anybody can go? We don't deserve it. None of us deserve it, yet all of us have opportunity. We see God is the inception of love. In His very nature, and His very core, the beginning of love is God. 
And God is the beginning of love. God is the perfection of love. How do we know love? How did God show us what love is? He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Completely selfless, completely loving. And lastly this morning we see that God is the perpetuation of love. Now, perpetuation is a fancy word that ends in I-O-N, so it would go with the rest of the slides, but it really means to continue in, right? God is the continuing of love. I had to look in the thesaurus to find out what that was. Some of you will figure out what a thesaurus is later. Oh, oh, I know what he was talking about, dictionary. No. Ah, okay. You're still awake. We get to the end of the sermon, you're still with me. That's good. If God so loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us and provide salvation to us, what's he say in verse 11 we ought to do? Love one another. Love one another. That should really be the most basic principle in the life of a believer. Like that, that shouldn't even have to be taught. It shouldn't have to be preached. It ought to just be. But we're going to preach it anyway. We ought to love one another. Why should we love one another? Not because of the worth of the other person. Not because they might love us in return. And not because we need to check off some spiritual box in our checklist. We ought to love one another because Jesus loved us. Well, Brother Jason, they just hadn't been very lovable. They're not acting very lovable right now, and I don't think I can love them because they're not acting very lovable. Guess what? You're not very lovable. You weren't very lovable, and according to the Word of God, nothing about you ever deserved to be loved in the first place. But God, while you were a sinner anyway, sent Jesus to die for you. That means in your unlovable self, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. So don't tell me about how somebody is unlovable because we're all unlovable. Love them anyway. Right? You're not getting an excuse. You're not getting a pass on why you don't have to love them. Well, Brother Jason, they don't love me in return. I know they don't. They don't love me. I can tell by the way they act. I can tell by the way they talk. They don't love me. Well, can I tell you something? The Bible says that before you were saved, you were an enemy of God. Not just that you didn't really like Him. You were an enemy of God. You were His opponent. But God, in your filthiest hell, loved you in your unlovable enmity state and said... I'm going to send Jesus to die for you in this very nature that you're in. So why do we love? Because Jesus loved us. See, this simple truth, and it, it, this is why I struggle so much when there's division in the house of God, because quite simply, there's not anything another believer can do that should cause us not to love them. Nothing. Brother Jason, they hurt me so bad. We'll work through it, but you love them anyway. Matter of fact, if you'll love them anyway, you might see that we work through it a little better. I'm not saying there's going to be no discussions or no problems. Listen, you get more than four people in a room, you got three opinions, and one of them's right, and three of them's wrong, and one of them's mine. There's going to be problems. There's going to be 
discussions. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be things that cause chasms, but there don't have to be divisions. Because divisions come when we refuse to love one another. Divisions come when we refuse to love one another. Because you see what happens when I love you? When I love you the way that I'm supposed to, even if we disagree, I assume the best about you. And I don't assume that you're out to get me. I assume that we just disagree. And I don't know about you guys, but I think any person over the age of five ought to be able to go to another person of the age of five and have a discussion. And at the end, at the very worst, you say, listen, we don't agree on that, but I at least respect where you're coming from. Right? We don't have to suddenly sit on different sides of the church or go to different services or go out of our class to another Sunday school class. I just can't sit. In, I, I have heard people say that before. I go to this class now. I just can't sit in that Sunday school class with that person. Are you kidding me? What are you, three? Love one another. Brother Jason, so-and-so did such and such to me. And so I'm the, well, they just must not like me. They did such and such. They did so and so. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. They did. And, and, and you know what, Brother Jason? They went to somebody else and did something for them, but they didn't do it for me. And now my feelings are hurt and I'm mad and I don't think they, are you kidding me? Would you give them the benefit of the doubt, love them and say, you know what, maybe God put a burden on their heart to go and love on that person. And maybe what I'm feeling is a conviction that I need to go and love on them while they love on them. Instead of saying, well, I think surely to goodness they must not like me very much. Are you kidding? Can I ask you a question? What if we all became so laser focused on loving others simply because Christ loved us? Instead of becoming so laser focused on loving who we want to, when we want to, and being mad when somebody don't do it back. What if we became so laser focused on loving others simply because Christ loved you? Do you know what would, I'm going to tell you what would happen. I'm going to go ahead and be prophetic. We would need a hundred more pews and three services to hold everybody if we started loving one another that way. This is a beautiful crowd. Beautiful crowd this morning. God has blessed us over this past year. We've had more pews full. Man, it's something else. It's spectacular. Do you know what we're missing? We're missing loving God just a little bit more, and we would need more pews. We'd need two more services to house everybody, and I'd have to get somebody to help me baptize people. My arm would break. Praise God. I hope it happens. Because can I tell you something else that happens when we start loving one another just because Jesus loved us? You know what we start doing? We start going to tell somebody about that love of God. We start going to tell a lost and dying world about the love of Christ. We start going to tell somebody about how special it is to be in fellowship with believers that love Jesus because he loved them and how they overlook any of our flaws and we begin to become more holy. We become more like God by studying the word of God together and loving one another and picking one another up and suddenly somebody looks in and goes, man, I think I'd like to be a part of that. That's different than what I have in the world but far too often in our churches we act just like the the world so that when somebody comes in they say man I could fuss and fight at the country club the church is not a country club God manifested himself by sending Jesus to die for us and we ought to be loving one another we ought to be falling over ourselves to see who could tell somebody about Jesus sooner 
So how do we wrap this up this morning? One, when I believe there's somebody in the house who needed to be reminded this morning that God loves them. I believe there's somebody here this morning who needs to know that Jesus loved you, not because you were worthy, but because he was. Somebody in the house needs to know you just, you've just been going through a season, you've been going through a moment, you've been living in a time where you just, to be quite honest with you, you don't feel loved. Can I tell you something? God hasn't moved. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if you're not feeling as loved by God as you want to be, if you're not feeling as wrapped up, then find your way down here and, and just ask God to take whatever is separating you. Leave it at his feet. I believe that there's somebody here this morning who needs to know that God loves them. But I believe there's somebody here this morning who needs to know that God manifested himself by sending Jesus to die for them. Somebody here this morning has never felt the love of God, has, has been yearning for something, has been needing something. There's been something missing in their lives for far too long. And that thing that's missing is submission to Jesus and being loved and feeling the love of Christ in your life. Would you come this morning and let's talk about what it means to be saved, what it means to know that Jesus died for your sins. In church, I believe there's somebody in the house this morning who needs to come and say, I need to, I need to love others. There's somebody in my life, there's a relationship that's not right, there's something going on in my life that's not right, and I need to love them like Jesus. I need to love them like Jesus because I've been loving them like the world for too long and it's not working. Brother Jason, would you pray with me? Would you, would you let me leave it at the altar that I would learn to love others the way that Jesus so loved me and I would show that to them in how I live? Let's pray. Father God, we pray this morning, Father, that, that for those who need to be saved, Father God, those who are standing here suffering under the debt of their own sin, Father God, would you put a conviction in their hearts and minds, Father. Stir upon them how much you love them that you sent Jesus to die for them. Father, show them. Show them as only you can that they stand in need of a Savior. Father, for that person who's here this morning, Father God, and maybe, maybe many, you say, God, I know your love, but I don't feel loved right now. Father, would you wrap them in your arms? Father, would you just touch their heart and let them know how much you love them and you're going to carry them, Father. Through whatever this season is, Father, you're not going to leave them nor forsake them. And Father, for all of us who have relationships, who have situations in our lives where we've not shown your love, Father, would you convict us now that we might lay that at your feet that we might go to that person, tell them we love them in Jesus' name. Father, you're a great healer of hurts because you're a great lover of humanity. And we love you and it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.